0: Welcome to Climate Optimus. I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd Deshida. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. We mentioned it last week, but wanted to remind everyone that this will be our last show for 2021. And we'll be resuming the pod the first week of of January. And, And given that, I just wanted to say thank you as we wrap up the year to all our dedicated listeners. By the way, one of our avid listeners... Day from the UK reached out to us about our COP26 episode, and he had a little bit of a different perspective on why we in the U.S. spell some of our words differently than, than they do. He was hypothesizing that maybe it was because we ousted all the good British English teachers after we won our independence, and I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond.
1: Excuse me? <laughs> You know, they could be right. We've got plenty of problems over here. But speaking of the Brits, I was just finished the Beatles documentary, and I've been singing all those songs. I bet Chelsea loves that. Yeah, she does. I just sing them over and over again until she wants to, like, jump out of the window here, head first onto the concrete. (laughs) And I was (laughs) listening to it with Logan. Paul McCartney was singing, and I was like, does that guy kind of sound like Dada? Because I was singing along, and he's like, yeah and i felt pretty good and i was like oh wow who do you think's better and he pointed at the screen to paul mccartney and i immediately <laughs> packed all his to- toys and clothes and threw him out on the lawn <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean to be considered in the same league as paul mccartney yeah. i mean it sounds like you kind of led the witness there a little bit so i mean that's i i, did, the but I still you. felt pretty good i mean we all got to find our self esteem boost somewhere <laughs> you know dave our listener from the uk also rightly inquired about why we weren't tackling some of the kind of important holiday climate topics. And he cited, you know, Santa's carbon footprint. And And I guess, Dave, I think that we would look at Santa as probably, you know, fairly efficient with the fuel he consumes, considering, you know, that he's stopping at every house, going house to house. I I, I do think, you know, while the reindeer are a nice touch and people are sentimental, they are you know, ungulates, which means, you know, they have multiple stomachs and emit methane. And so <laughs> it may be time, you know, for Santa to park the reindeer in a place where you can capture that methane and, you know, convert over to a fully electric sleigh. But, you know, who am I to get in the way of Christmas tradition? So back in November, we polled listeners on social about four different topics and and which we should cover in December. Their top choice was climate disinformation given that today we'll be digging into kind of both the historical and ongoing campaigns by the fossil fuel industry to undermine climate science as well as their sadly effective efforts to undermine government action well let's uh, let's talk about reasons for hope
1: yeah well you know in our last episode you know we talked about carbon capture and the importance of that technology and getting to you know our Net Zero and climate goals and you know obviously the technology is very new and then it's still expensive but you know it looks like there's a lot of startups coming into play that are that are working to for ideas to turn carbon into useful products you know there's a great article here in the Guardian and we'll we'll link it here in the notes that talks about some of these efforts that are currently underway there's uh, roughly 350 startups that are working to turn you know carbon into useful products from what we were looking at uh, it seems that the most exciting ones that have you know the ability to scale to anything big enough to you know make a dent kind of in pulling carbon out of the air were you know things like jet fuel and basically they use a, a process that turns you know co2 into they call it syn you know it's all this it's chemistry it's all the stuff that I didn't think it was important and didn't pay attention to in school. (laughs) (laughs) And luckily there were some kids that did because there's these people and they're, they're thinking this stuff up. Another one that's a big thing we use in life is concrete. They can inject carbon into wet concrete, which, you know, stores it permanently. So there's some really cool ideas out there and you know, the investment in this has risen a lot as well. This year it was over $550 million dollars. Which is more than the previous five years combined. What do you think about this technology?
0: I think it, it is exciting to see there being thought put into you know what we can do with this carbon that we need to pull out of the air. And it seems like that helps upstream when you're talking about the high price of carbon capture, because if you can turn that carbon into a valuable product and create a market for it, then you're creating demand. And that's really what we need more than anything right now, is demand in terms of putting CO2 out of the air. So that's exciting. And I think the key with all of this is making sure that we're thinking about kind of the life cycle of emissions. In other words, Mm -hmm. we're not creating a lot more carbon along the way as we generate those products. You know, and I think, as you indicated, Picking products that have the potential to scale and really use a lot of carbon is key. I mean, I saw mm-hmm. I saw one product they were talking about it was like a, a vodka that they'd put carbon in. And I I'm, i don't know about you, but I really, really think we're going to drink ourselves out of our carbon problem here. Nor are there enough engagement rings that can be bought to to tie up a meaningful amount of carbon. Maybe the, the vodka thing, maybe that's where, you know,
1: Putin and the Russians are thinking about getting their big pull on climate. <laughs> We will drink the uh, climate change into the ground.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! All right. Uh, before we go off the rails here, <laughs> uh, to help us with this, you know, complex topic of climate disinformation, we're lucky enough to have as a guest today uh, Kathy Mulvey from the Union of Concerned Scientists. She's a director of their climate corporate accountability campaign. She's designed and led corporate accountability campaigns since 1989, served as executive director for EIRIS, Conflict Risk Network, where she worked with pension funds and university endowments to call on companies to support peace and stability in areas affected by genocide and related atrocities. Before that, she worked with corporate accountability for two decades, serving as both an executive director and international international policy director. She was a leader in advocating for the World Health Organization's groundbreaking global tobacco treaty. So super excited to have her on and her wealth of experience to help us understand the complex web of deception that the fossil fuel companies are behind.
1: Yeah, really excited.
0: Kathy, welcome to Climate Optimus.
2: Thanks. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, excited to have you here to talk about this topic. To start things off, uh, let's have you answer the question of when you think about efforts to address climate change, uh, what you know, what makes you hopeful?
2: Yeah, the the movement that is growing and led by young people and indigenous people, um, and is really stressing the urgency of action and impatience with the failure of my generation and previous generations to really stand up to fossil fuel polluters and people who are really i mean people who are putting their lives on the line uh, out there to to challenge you know our system of energy and the economy that's that's built on it
0: yeah i've noticed the you know energy of the youth and that's been it's been great to watch So let's start with a a basic question then when it comes to climate disinformation. What is it? Sort of what falls into that definition?
2: Yeah, this is a pretty wide ranging topic in, in some ways. So you have actual denial of climate science, you know, claims that the science is still uncertain, misrepresentation of climate action policies and what impact they will have. I think a specific area there that we've seen and that Ben Franta has revealed in his research into the American Petroleum Institute is a scale that overestimates the costs of climate action while, you know, often ignoring the costs of inaction. I think another Form of disinformation is framing of the issue of climate change as one that is only about individual responsibility. So, we as individuals do absolutely have responsibility to act. But, you know, I would argue that our responsibility is to put pressure on fossil fuel polluters, to put pressure on our Our policymakers that those are some of the most important actions that we can take, and instead, you know, we see the the fossil fuel companies, as the tobacco companies have long done, trying to say that this is a this is a question of of personal responsibility, of personal choice. I think another area is delay, increasingly becoming a a form of disinformation that's most prevalent. Fossil fuel companies are now making pledges to be aligned with the Paris Climate Agreement or to um, achieve net zero global warming emissions. But the disinformation part is they want us to believe that uh, they're just going to wave a magic wand and you know, not do anything now or in the next 10 years when action is so critical and then some, and then a technological fix will, you know, get us where we need to be. So a lot of different facets and, you know, that doesn't even touch on the present day greenwashing. I mean, I'm sure people have seen ads from ExxonMobil touting its investments in algae biofuels. A couple of years ago, the International Energy Agency looked at the capital investments of the oil and gas industry and found that on average, what was going to low carbon was about 1% of the, of wow. the total. So what we see in Public relations and advertising campaigns in our social media feeds um, totally misrepresents that reality.
0: Yeah, it's kind of staggering when you think about it in the both the monetary sense and in all the different areas in which they're sort of working this angle. Well, I guess that leads to the question of kind of, and you've hinted at this a little bit, but who are sort of the you know the biggest players in the fossil fuel industry when it comes to this disinformation?
2: Yeah, I mean, so the major investor-owned oil and gas companies BP Chevron ExxonMobil shell um, which are all part of the American Petroleum Institute have known for at least 50 years about the the harm that their products posed to the to the global climate you know not only did they uh, ignore their their own scientists, you know, in the case of ExxonMobil, and and not redirect their business toward renewable energy that would be less harmful to the climate. They actually got together behind concerted campaigns to confuse the public and delay and block action. So One of the sort of signal and notorious moments in the fossil fuel industry's history was a a memo written by a task force convened by the American Petroleum Institute in 1998. And this memo actually said victory will be achieved when average citizens understand uncertainties in climate science. So, you know, this was a real effort to, yeah, to make, I mean, as with the tobacco industry, where industry representatives notoriously said, doubt is our product. You know, this is a very similar playbook (laughs) um, that the fossil fuel industry has employed ExxonMobil and Chevron as U.S.-based oil and gas companies still continue to insist that they bear no responsibility for emissions that come from burning their oil and gas products. ExxonMobil just, for the first time ever, disclosed what are called Scope 3 emissions from burning its products last year, and only in response to tremendous pressure from its investors. But, you know, this would be akin to a tobacco company saying, oh, yeah, we, you know, we made those cigarettes and marketed them and got them out there and sold them, but we we didn't know people were going to smoke them.
1: Um,
2: (laughs) Right. So people are using these oil and gas products exactly as the companies intended. BP and Shell have uh, have made pledges and, and Shell's case set targets. um, But the targets aren't enforceable enough. And the companies really, um, they still hedge really on their responsibility versus your and my responsibility. So yeah, I think these major investor-owned fossil fuel companies with ExxonMobil as the ringleader have for decades been trying to deceive us and deceive policymakers.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about it, especially given, you know, all the precious time that we have lost. So you alluded to this a little bit, but what are their tried and true kind of methods or tools that they use to undermine climate science?
2: So, you know, we saw in that American Petroleum Institute memo that I mentioned, uh, you know, some of the tactics there included actually recruiting scientists and trying to make them appear independent and having them help spread the message of uncertainty. I mean, we know that these these companies are still funding third parties, think tanks, business associations, trade associations. Um, The reality is that some of the disinformation and uncertainty narrative that they set in motion has some momentum of its own. But, you know, certainly they have powerful lobbying presences in Washington on Capitol Hill and at the state and local levels and you know some of this came to light earlier this year with the now former ExxonMobil lobbyist Keith McCoy who was caught on tape boasting about ExxonMobil's lobbying strategy and a couple things that I think were really significant out of that which were not surprising but were important to have someone uh, admit directly Yeah. You know, one was the the company's uh, professed support for a carbon tax. He said that the carbon tax is actually a good talking point for the company and made it clear that from his perspective, didn't have any intention of actually making it happen. You know, he also said, of course, we do support climate science disinformation. And he said that the trade associations are good whipping boys for the industry. Wow. So, you know, and uh, so we see this, the companies claim to support a climate-related policy, but then the American Petroleum Institute, which they're all part of and all in leadership at, opposes those rules. Um, and this was a uh, in the hearing that the House Oversight Committee had at the end of October. Um, there was a great moment where uh, Chairperson Kana of the Environment Subcommittee of the Oversight Committee asked, starting with the, the BP and Shell representatives, to turn to the American Petroleum Institute representative on the screen and tell him to stop fighting methane rules and a methane fee that the companies say they support. And none of them would, would do it. And none of these companies would pledge not not to fund climate disinformation gets
0: to be fired up as we talk about it i guess maybe it's an obvious question to ask like what effect has it had on on climate action in the us are there examples where their efforts undermine a piece of progress on on climate
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the fossil fuel industry's disinformation and anti-climate lobbying has played an important role in the failure of the U.S. to take federal action at the pace and scale that's needed. And looking back, there are various examples. I mean, the industry came together um, in the late 1980s. Around the what was called the global, global Climate Coalition, right which was an effort to block the US participation in the Kyoto Protocol. Right. You know one of the things that the fossil fuel industry and its real political power in the US has also played out on the international level in terms of lowering the ambition of the collective action.
0: Yeah, it was it was disappointing to see the U.S. walk away from you know signing the, the pledge to you know phase out coal and you mm-hmm. know, unwillingness to sign the you know the pledge to move to electric vehicles by twenty forty and you know in thinking about kind of that, that contrast I mean ha- has the EU been any more successful in terms of combating the climate disinformation side of things,
2: the fossil fuel industry's obstruction of climate policy and legislative action has led people to pursue other mechanisms and and vehicles to drive change. And in Europe, that's meant some really uh, important litigation rooted in climate commitments and in human rights obligations. So, for example, there was a case in the Netherlands that challenged the national climate targets, the emissions reductions targets, and the Urgenda Foundation won an order uh, for the Netherlands to strengthen its commitments to reduce emissions, and that was followed by litigation against Royal Dutch Shell, which in May of this year also won a really important judgment that ordered the company to reduce its emissions by 45% by 2030, in line with what science says is necessary to keep, you know, temperature increase to one and a half degrees Celsius. So there have been some differences in terms of binding policies and actions. So
0: it's encouraging, albeit small, that there are these <laughs> these these legal wins in in the EU. And I know there, you know, cases of municipalities and cities that have been suing the Exxon Mobiles of the world are you know where are those cases in terms of progressing? And is there is there progress being made there? I know things take a long time to work through the legal system.
2: Yeah, there are more than uh, two dozen cities counties and, and states now across the U.S. that are suing the fossil fuel industry over climate damages and over fraud and and deception. So uh, the first of those cases were filed in 2017, and not one of them has yet gotten into a courtroom. So the, the fossil fuel defendants are Essentially, pulling out all the procedural stops that they can, and and you know putting a lot of money and effort into trying to prevent those cases from being heard on the merits, actually, and and that's really unfortunate because it's delaying justice for these communities.
0: It sounds like the legal system and these challenges uh, hold promise. Are there are there other avenues? you know, that can be used to really hold these, you know, these fossil fuel companies accountable for their their actions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Fortunately. Um, So, uh, you know, another area that has been really important and building a lot of momentum is in the investment space. The latest report, and this was a, an, a huge increase, institutions with combined assets of more than $39 trillion have divested from the fossil fuel industry. You know, long-term investors like pension funds are concerned about the, the business plan and the business model of companies like ExxonMobil. And as shareholders, they have been driving uh, shareholder advocacy. Earlier this year, ExxonMobil shareholders actually ousted three members of the company's board and replaced them on the basis that ExxonMobil was really failing to evolve as a potential leader in the energy transition. We're we're seeing share majorities of shareholders uh, vote for companies to report on and disclose their, their climate lobbying and to show how it's actually consistent with the Paris Agreement. So there's a lot happening with investors and, and shareholders in these companies. And, you know, we're we're encouraged to see that, you know, the, the House Oversight Committee held a hearing with fossil fuel CEOs, with CEOs of, of major companies and trade associations as part of an investigation into climate disinformation. So it's really, you know, it's important that Congress pursue and continue this investigation.
0: You know, it's encouraging to hear that there are these, you know, these different avenues. What can we do as individuals to help in advancing these actions that need to be taken um, to address the disinformation and, you know, stop halting forward progress?
2: yeah so I think people should use whatever um whatever communications um, outlets and mechanisms they have to expose challenge and confront ongoing disinformation by the fossil fuel companies on climate change so there are there are people like Mary Heglar on Twitter who do um green trolling of fossil fuel companies and uh, it's important for members of congress to hear from their constituents that we believe this investigation into the fossil fuel industry's disinformation is valuable and essential and you know if people have through their through their retirement plans through mutual funds investments in fossil fuel Companies. We all have uh, an opportunity and an obligation to make sure that whoever's managing those funds is is putting pressure on the leadership of these fossil fuel companies to slash their emissions and to stop spreading disinformation.
0: It Sounds like depending on what you what you like, there's a different flavor for each of us to get involved. I, you know, you mentioned the. Um, institutions like Vanguard. I mean I, I have a you know a Vanguard IRA and so you know I should be on that um, on that wagon as well. Well, Kathy, it's been a pleasure to have you on and to have you share your your wealth of information on fossil fuel deception. It certainly has me motivated to go do more and and thank you for giving us opportunities to, to, to get engaged. I think this is a, a critical issue and one where each of us individually you know can make a difference if we choose.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. And uh, I should say, too, that a lot of what I've been talking about is available on the Union of Concerned Scientists website at UCSUSA.org. Thanks, Kathy. All right. Thanks a lot.
0: So, Todd, after listening to Kathy talk about all the problem side as as well as the solutions to climate disinformation. What did you think?
1: Well I had a you know a few takeaways from it. I was interested to hear that her kind of hopeful message was that, you know, it's really the young young people and some of the indigenous organizations and people that are really holding everyone's feet to the fire on climate change because, you know, I, I agree. I think it's going to take consistent pressure that doesn't go away. If you look back on history, I'm sure that most of the big things that have ever happened. And it's not, it's the leaders responding to to pressure from from the people. And that's really what we're trying to do here. You know, the misrepresentation of climate action policies was another one that stuck out to me, that they're overestimating the cost of what climate action is going to cost and ignoring the cost of, of inaction, which obviously plays into their message and benefits their their companies.
0: Well, and we see that at Capitol Hill all the time, right? Where certain legislators are putting out just sort of scare tactics about the cost of climate action, what it's going to mean, you know, in terms of impacting the economy, and making inaccurate statements about how it's going to impact the stability of our our electrical grid. And you don't hear any of those people talking about what's going to happen to our economy if climate change goes unchecked, right? Or if you know what's going to happen to our grid. Yeah, and then
1: the framing of the issue, putting it back on individuals, rather than kind of admitting any collective fault here for this. You know, it's kind of that back to the the big tobacco, right? There's people's personal choice. And, uh, you know, that that phrase, we didn't know anybody was gonna smoke them. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it just seems just, just totally counterintuitive. And, outrageous, right? That, that anybody would say that, but it's very true. It's, it's kind of like be them saying, well, we didn't know anybody was going to burn this stuff in their car. You know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> it's just really outrageous. And, and then it sounded like there's also a lot of lobby. I call it lobby laundering almost of <laughs> basically, you know, they're out there saying, Oh, we care about this stuff. We're biofuels our thing. And we, gosh, we care about the climate. And then they have these trade associations kind of doing their bidding on the other end fighting climate legislation and I know that you you know you were a little bit more focused as the optimist that you are which I appreciate of the of some (laughs) of the progress you know that is happening
0: in some of these areas as well though yeah I I think while you could be a cynic and say hey they're you know they're just playing the same game in the tobacco companies and you know look at all the damage that did. The reality is big tobacco isn't what it was you know we we won that campaign. it took time and so in a way it's heartening to me to know that like well if we already know what the playbook is and then we also know how to play defense on that and and what it took to to dismantle uh, you know their apparatus right and yeah I I, I am optimistic, Todd that's uh, good. Reuters was reporting just last week that the coalition for a responsible exxon which is a huge investment group has called on CEO Darren Woods to to be replaced and for the company to do more to curb greenhouse gas emissions. So you've got clearly a lot of pressure from the investment side mm. and and it's you know it's having an impact. I feel like in in the near term this investigation that's been launched by the House Oversight Committee on Climate Disinformation could could bear some fruit, right? I mean, it can take years to get through the courts, and, you know, it's clear the fossil fuel companies are using all they can to sort of delay action there. But, you know, ignoring a subpoena from Congress is a little bit harder to do, you know? Yeah. Another area that's, you know, probably not a secret, but it's worth calling out is is really the climate disinformation that gets propagated by social media, you know, and, and specifically Facebook. In those, you know, recent disclosures by their the whistleblower about, you know, Facebook, there were all these papers that talked about how employees have been highlighting for years the fact that, you know, climate disinformation isn't, you know, treated seriously enough or being dealt with seriously enough. And, you know, they've, they were advocating for, you know, really treating it in the same way they do Covid or election misinformation, which is that it, it is an imminent threat, and you know, obviously, getting Mark Zuckerberg to do anything is is a big lift. Sure, uh, I, I think that's clearly an area where there's you know there's opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would love to dive into some of that
0: social media and the Facebook thing in a whole episode. Yeah, I mean, I I assume the the vast majority is really just coming from a handful of sources. And so if you can curtail those sources, you eliminate, you know, 90% of the problem. So when thinking about the fossil fuel companies and the incremental progress being made, but the, the big lift that still needs to take place, you know, the question obviously becomes, what can we do? And, you know, for this week, we'd ask people to consider a donation to the Union of Concerned Scientists. The interview with Kathy clearly illustrates all the great work that they're doing as an organization, creating awareness in the public, educating lawmakers, or, you know, providing the necessary data to inform, you know, inform these lawsuits. So we think that they're doing a great job and that the work they're doing is, is pretty essential in this space. So if you want to make a difference, consider sending a donation their way and and we'll have a link to their website on our website. So that's a wrap for today. Thanks again for to everyone for tuning in, helping spread the podcast and the climate solutions that we're helping advocate for come back and join us beginning of january when we'll be discussing more climate solutions reasons for hope and ways each of us can make a difference climate optimist is made possible by climate stewards collective you can always find us on the web at climateoptimist.co that's climateoptimist.co and don't forget to follow us on social at climate optimist podcast